I don't think there's a fool on planet Earth that would say, I don't want to be rewarded, amen? Like we all praise Jesus when the rewards are flowing. But what about what it really means to seek Him? Like, have you ever really thought about biblically what it means to seek the Lord? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. God, we just come before you now, and we simply cry out to you, come have your way among us. Would you stir, God? Would you do something profound in this place today? As we're seeking you, as we're pursuing you, God, I pray we would do so with an abandon of self, that we'd renounce everything else. Uh, give us courage. Give us strength. Give us what we need to accomplish the mission you've called us to. So, Father, we open your word. Holy Spirit, would you, again, have your way among us. Move in a Holy Spirit way, in a powerful way, God, I pray. I pray when we leave here today that we could truly proclaim, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And so, God, would you move? Move me out of the way. Have thine own way, Lord, right now. Help us all to decrease while you increase. We'll be quick to give you all the praise, give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted, amen, amen. Take that Bible, and we're going from James for one week into the book of Hebrews. But today is Celebration Sunday. Uh, today is Big Faith Sunday. Today is living all in, to be all in for Jesus. And Hebrews is such a great book. I love the book of Hebrews. It, it challenges, it is so deep in some respects, and yet so simple as we're going to see today. And so in Hebrews, we're going to look at one chapter, one verse, Hebrews 11, in your Bible, looking at verse 6. And as you're turning there to Hebrews 11, 6, I want us to think about this concept today that, that is so biblical. When we look all the way back from Genesis and move all the way forward into Revelation, we see this, that faith precedes the miracles. Faith precedes, goes before the miracles. How many of you today believe that God is still in the miracle business by a show of hands? I believe God is in the miracle business. We got here today, amen? That's a miracle in and of itself for some of us. We are here today, we're praising Jesus, but I believe that God does miracles even today. I believe God is still powerful. He's never lost His power. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. That's who God is in His nature. He is Almighty God. Because the Holy Spirit resides within us, the true believer, we operate from a platform of power. Let me rephrase that. Because the Holy Spirit resides within us, we should operate from a platform of power. So many days, if we're truthful, we don't, do we? As believers, as believers, if we're just honest and open here today, many times don't we live defeated lives? 
We say we've been rescued. We say we've been freed. We got faith. We got grace. We got mercy. We're in church. But often we live these defeated lives, don't we? Well, I pray today for me and for you, this will be a new day. So here it is, Hebrews. If you're in the Old Testament, even though we're talking about Hebrews, you're in the wrong Testament. Make sure you're in the New Testament. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Here's what it says. The Holy Word of God. Listen to the potency of these words. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Let me say that again. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Who's Him? God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews, the hall of faith, we call it, not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. And you look through Hebrews and you see some ragtag characters in there, don't you? You're like, how do they get in there? Well, that's the grace of God, isn't it? That's the whole point of grace. How did any of us get here? Well, it's God's unmerited favor. He doesn't look at me and you and go, man, you're amazing. I need you on my team. No, he looks at me and you and he says, you need the blood of my son Jesus. I'm going to sacrifice him. I'm going to execute him on a cruel Roman cross that that as you give your life to him, that he's going to free you from the enemy of self. He's going to free you from the depths of despair. He's going to free you from the pit of hell. He's going to free him because our God is in the freeing business. And you see Rahab, the prostitute, who we studied just a few weeks ago in the hall of faith, the line of Jesus. The line of David runs through Rahab, the prostitute. Go figure, amen? That's the power of the grace of God. That's the depth of the grace of God. That your sin today, no matter what you've done, is never, is never too deep for the grace of God. Like it's never too deep. When you think it's too deep, that's the enemy speaking lies into your head. That's why we go back to the truth. That's why we are anchored to the truth of God's Word at Enon Baptist Church. We will not bend, buckle, nor break from the truth of God's Word. Won't happen. Don't have to think about it, pray about it, wonder about it. It's not happening. It's the truth of God's Word that will set us free. And right here in this glorious verse, I love this. Look at it in your Bible. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Now look back at verse 5 for just a moment in your Bible there. Give us some context. So by faith, Enoch, or Enoch, however you want to pronounce it, was taken up so that he should not see death. Interesting. Just poof. And was not found because God had taken him. Okay. But think about this last phrase in verse 5 leading into verse 6 for our context. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. I mean, I read that. I'm like, woo, right? You're like, wow, that's the nugget right there. He was commended as having pleased God. What a glorious, glorious inscription on your tombstone, my tombstone. Your name, they please God. Your name, they please God. My name, they please God. I mean, what else could you really want in life, right? Now, our flesh thinks, you know, if I get this and do this and go here and and buy this and whatever else we fill in the blank, we think that's the ticket. 
That's a ticket to a carousel going nowhere, round and round. But when we seek to please God in your business, in your family, at home, at work, wherever you go, when your aim, as Paul said, is to be well-pleasing to God, we make it our aim is what he said. We have an aim, we are dialed in, we got the bullseye, we know our target, we know our mission, it's clear, it's compelling, we're not going to deviate, our goal is to please God. And when we're dialed in in that vein, guess what's going to happen? We're going to give glory to God, we're going to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. You ever heard that before? That's our mission, right? Give glory to God. Be disciples of Jesus that go, that go from the locker room today. Man, we say break. We say it's been awesome. Man, let's get out of here and let's go take Chester for the glory of God. You say, I don't know if that can happen. Well, I believe this, that with faith, all things are possible with God. There's a flip side to this verse. And right out of the gate, he says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. What's faith? Well, think about it in two veins. So the Christian faith. There's a Christian faith that I pray today everyone's saved. If you're not truly saved, if you have never given your life to Christ, I pray today is your day. I pray today is your day. And you may be one of those. I've seen this happen over the years. I've seen people that have went to church, air quotes, right? Went to church decades don't have a clue who Jesus is. I mean, not a clue. I've seen church leaders. I've seen pastors. Not a clue who Jesus is. Did all the rituals, the rules, the regulations, but we're just running for Jesus, right? Running, running, running. Religious. No clue who he is. If that's you here today, I pray that today's your day. Because when that day happens, it's the greatest day in your life. And without faith, it's impossible. So faith the Christian faith, but also the personal faith towards Christ. We believe in Him. We talk about that. We just had baptisms. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? We ask that. Yes, I do. Have you given your life to Him? We take it one step further. Baptisms are public, right? It's accountability. Those four ladies said, I've given my life to Jesus in front of all of you. There's a faith being professed. But there's also a faith, we can take it one step further, even more, and say, hey, there's faith as far as trusting, just trusting in general. You go sit in a chair at at your favorite uh, hangout for lunch this afternoon, and you're going to have faith that chair is going to hold you up, amen? That takes faith. Well, here, the writer's saying, look, and without faith, the Christian faith, but personal faith, a real, vibrant, personal faith. A faith that says, it's my own. It's real. That I see that there's the old man, the old woman, don't recognize them, still struggle, still stumble and fall, not perfect. But I am journeying and stumbling forward to be well-pleasing to him. There's a faith involved with that. Because if we don't have that right there, the verse says, it's impossible, it's powerless. You could use the word impotent. What it means in the Greek powerless, that there's no power there, unable to accomplish, is what he's saying, the writer. He's trying to paint a picture here that we see so very clearly that if we're just churchgoers 
and our life has never been radically rocked by the cross and the empty tomb, all we are is churchgoers. And on that day, on that day, there's going to be a lot of churchgoers that are saying, man, we were in for you, Jesus. We were in. He's going to go, who are you? Like, who are you? don't even know you. Because we did all the stuff, but just never gave him our life. See, big, big faith produces big, big miracles. And the greatest miracle of all is salvation, amen? I mean, when you really begin to think of what happened through salvation, this is not Easter, uh, not chocolate, not bunnies. No, we're talking about here. We're talking about salvation, brutal execution, wrath of God was satisfied on that cross to tell us die. it is finished, it is finished. Darkness all over the land. But let me tell you about Easter. Let me tell you about Resurrection Sunday. Because the grave could not hold the king. And that miracle then transfers to the believer's heart. And there's a miracle that happens in the person. And you know it when you see that person. You go, who are you again? Who are you? I don't recognize the person I used to know. And that's the point that there will be a marked change. Without faith, it's impossible. It won't happen to please. What's that mean? To entirely gratify. So imagine God looking at your life, looking at my life, and he goes, I am entirely gratified with you. You guys ever wanted to please someone? Maybe it's a parent, maybe a boss, and you want to please them in a healthy way, by the way, a healthy way. Not a manipulation, but a healthy way. Now imagine that on spiritual steroids. We want to please God. Every morning we get up, we go like, should be just, God, what do you want to do? I want to please you today. I want to make a difference for you. That's why key number one in your notes, write it down. Key number one, here it is. A life that is void of true faith in God is a life that is void. Pretty to the point, isn't it? Key number one, a life that is void of true faith in God is a life that's void. And I see this happen all the time at funerals and celebration of life services. And, you know, he or she was a good person. Great. Did they give their life to Jesus? No. If we're going to read Scripture and hold to Scripture, not a good thing, amen? The bottom line is, is that if we haven't given our life to Christ, if you haven't today, you may think you're living a life of meaning, but you're not. You're only fooling yourself. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Just run, 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 chase the dollar, chase the vacations, chase the beach houses, whatever you're doing. Get a bigger sailboat, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Just keep chasing, keep running, run, 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 run. That's the whole point of Scripture, that, that we look at all that stuff and in and of itself is not bad. But the problem is, those things begin to manage us, don't they? They begin to manage what we do. They dictate what we do and where we go. And God says, look, I want to be your totality of all that you are. I was thinking through a few thoughts and just marinated on that. And, and I asked myself two questions I'm going to ask you out loud. So the number one one is here. The first one is this. What are you giving yourself to? Like, just ask yourself that right now. What are you giving yourself to? 
Every person here today, whether you like it or not, is giving themselves to something or someone. You go, no, I'm not. I go, yes, you are. Oh, everyone is. Don't, don't fool yourself. Every one of us is giving ourselves to something or someone. Let me ask it maybe a different way that hopefully will make this a little more to the point. Where are you headed in life? Ask it that way. Like, where are you headed? Like, where are you headed? We're all going somewhere. Where are you going? Like, right now, in your mind, as you're processing that question, where are you going? Well, you know, I just want to keep working, and and I got this big retirement account, and, you know, in in X number of years, I'm going to have a big fat bank account, and, uh, man, it's going to be pie in the sky, and we're just going to cruise through life. Okay. That's where you're going. Okay. I mean, just ask yourself. These are questions we got to ask. You know, well, we just kind of go to church in America and we just got to high five everybody in country club and no life change. Everything's great. No, it's not. Like, where are you going? I mean, we're all going somewhere. So when you get to where you're going, like right now, you know where you're going. I could do reverse psychology and say, don't think about it. And you're going to think about it. Amen. Like, where are you going? Like, think about where you're going. Now, when you get there, here's the real question, will God be there? Like, when you get to where you're going, will God be there? Will God be there? It doesn't make any sense. We spend all of our lives accumulating stuff, putting it into a garage that we never use, can't even get the door up on the garage anymore. And then we wonder why we're just in shambles and we don't have peace, we don't have joy, but we got Jesus. It's just so convoluted here in the West, isn't it? Because we're so pulled, aren't we? Then we're pulled. It's tug of war, isn't it? Tug of war, tug of war, tug of war. Well, my flesh wants this, but I, I think I know Jesus and I think I know him and I think I want him, and, but we don't even know what we're doing half the time, do we? Where are you going? And when you get there, will God be there? How about Hebrews 11.1? Just write that down. You want to kind of understand what faith is. So Hebrews 11.1. So it tells us right here, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Assurance, don't miss that. The conviction of things not seen. So your Christian faith today, if it's real, if it's real, only you and God really know if it's real, there will be an assurance not a fire insurance like so many people have. I'm talking about an assurance because it's real. When it's not real, there's not an assurance that there's going to be that, that tension in your life. Because you know, it's not real. This is not real. I've been playing a game. i got a charade going on, fooling everybody. There's not an assurance. But when it's real, there will be an assurance, a peace. Not perfection, but a peace. And here's what happens. There will now be a conviction. I mean, the conviction. Here's like, I don't care if nobody goes with me on this one. I'm following Jesus. That's faith. Faith is not waiting for other people to take the action. Faith is waiting for you to take the action in obedience, regardless of what other people do. Faith precedes the miracle. How about the second part of that verse? For whoever would draw near to God, I love that, must believe that he exists. So think about this for a moment. So 
drawing near to God, so God's our object. Picture that right now in your mind's eyes. We're trying to piece this puzzle together, this verse. So God is the object, and the question back to me and you today, is God truly the object of our affection? Is He really? Again, it's easy to say it. We've been talking about this in James. Being a sayer versus an obeyer, right? Good, good sayers. I'm good at being a sayer. Am I really good at being an obeyer? Is God truly the object of our affection? You think through that verse and you see so much in there. That's why key number two, I believe just is to the point when we say this, key number two, and I want you to write it down. If I desire to truly draw near to God... I must have a non-passive faith in Him and for Him. Let me say that again. If I desire to truly, not religion, not country club, not membership to Sam's, no, we're talking if I truly desire to be in, to draw near to God, I must have a non-passive faith in Him and for Him. Often we'll hear about the being in Christ. Good thing. Awesome. Love it. Beautiful. But remember, faith without works is what, church? Dead. So if I'm just professing, but when I look at your life and you look at mine, you look at mine and go, man, you like to yell a lot on Sunday mornings, but Monday through Saturday, man, you're just like, you're a joke. That's not a real good witness, is it? we got to have this in him, check, but the in him now moves to for him. Now, as we leave the locker room today, you go out to the highways and byways of life, and you, yes, you, are his ministers. You're his ministers. You're his ministers for his gospel, for his glory, for his praise, to be a disciple that gives him glory, to make disciples that give him glory. Drawing near. Coming close, just picture that, approaching. For whoever would come close, approach God, must believe, must commit to, must commit to one's trust with action is what he's saying. The writer there is very clear in the Greek. He's saying, look, here's the deal. When he's talking about believing, again, it's not just intellectual. It's not just emotional. There's a third component that always goes into this. For the true believer's life, there will be an act of the will. There'll be obedience. We can be very intellectual in our faith, which, by the way, is very good. We want to be students of the Word at this church, amen? We want to be students of it. Not so that we can press people. No, so that we can give a defense. So that we'll know what we're talking about. We want to be emotional. It's okay to praise Jesus, amen? I've been in some church services over the years that... I'm not sure if I'm in a funeral or a church service. And then they tell you to get up and preach. You know, it's like, man, I need to go back there and do jumping jacks or something before I come out, you know, because like I'm ready to go take a nap before I even preached. So here's the deal. So we talk about this in a way that I pray would give God glory, that would give him praise, but we're drawing near. There, there's a pursuit. You, you see this? It's not just sit back. Some people I've seen this over the years, it's kind of like, Ooh, you know, I raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, got dunked. And it's almost like, man, I'm glad I got that over with. I'm so glad I got that over with. Okay, let's get on to our life. That's not what you do. I mean, your life begins when you give your life to Christ. 
And by the way, when you give it to him, you no longer own it. How many people told you that when you got saved? Like when you give your life to Jesus, you no longer own your life. What? I don't remember that in the contract. No, that's the whole point of Scripture. When you read it and see it, your life is no longer your own. You have no ownership of your life. Zero. Think about that would change your life, your home, your marriage, your business, your ball team, your church. And every one of those entities said, look, our lives are truly no longer our own and we're going to live as though they're no longer our own. Think about how everything would be different. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. That's why I love the, the thought here of obedience and faith are inseparable. God really hit that hard between my eyes this week. Obedience and faith are inseparable. If you're trying to separate the two, you're on that fool's errand. Because we're in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Especially men, I want to talk to you for a moment. Men, you are the pastors of your homes. Granddads, you're the pastors of your families. God's going to hold you accountable for how you lead your families. He's going to hold you accountable. We're in a battle. We have to fight. We got to start fighting for our children, fighting for our marriages, fighting for our families. We have to start fighting. The Christian life is literally a battlefield. It's a battlefield. It's a battleground, not a playground. It's a battlefield, not a ball field. It's a fight, not a fashion show. The Christian life is real. It's the best thing, the most rewarding thing you can have, but it is real and it is a fight right now. The enemy, real bluntly here, here it is. If you love Jesus, if you say, hey, our home loves Jesus Christ, and maybe even have something out there on your doorstep that has a Bible verse on it, and you're saying to the whole world, we love Jesus, here's the deal. Satan hates you. Like he hates you with a vengeance. He's going to do everything he can to destroy you. He's not going to take this sitting down. And so often, we're not even prepared for the battle. We start getting lambasted. We have no idea what's going on. It's real. We are in a fight. We are in a battle. That's why we can't allow sin to reign in our lives. I know this because I'm living this. But if I allow sin to reign in my life, sin will reign in my life. Amen. I mean, we're talking R-E-I-G-N. And R-A-I-N, it will begin to rain like poor, won't it? It will take ownership and rule because the reality I'm learning is that tolerated sin nestles in deep. It just nestles. It gets so deep in there in the crevices and it resists at all costs being evicted. Like it says, I'm not getting evicted. I'm, I'm hanging out here. I like this place. It's cozy. It nestles in so, so deep. That's why John Owen, the great Puritan, said, be killing sin or be killing you. We are in a battle, men, women, students, and children, and we must today declare war on our sin. I mean, declare war on it. One of the things that 
the Lord has taught me just this last week. As I told you before, there's been some sin in my life, rationalized sin that, you know, not a big deal. It is a big deal. Hurts a lot of people. And so what God has spoken into my life is I must go to war against this sin. And here's what I've learned. So as I'm going to war against it, and maybe right now the Holy Spirit's bringing to mind sin in your life. Bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, lust, fill in the blank. And right now, it's illuminated in your mind. You know exactly what he's saying to you. And so right now, you have to go to war against that. What do you do? Well, you get up every morning like I do and just, like I did this past week, you know, it's day X. I'm counting the days. And each day, each morning, so I'll say it's day X. Let's say it's day five. I'll say it's day five. And I'll name the sin. And I say, sin, I'm going to war against you. I'm declaring war against you. You will not have the final word in my life. Jesus does. And I'm going to war against this. You know what? In just a few days, I'm already seeing victory. Because you declare war on it, and now it's exposed in the light. It loses its power, its fervency. God's working. Those issues of anger and whatever it might be, that bitterness and unforgiveness, declare war. Every, every day, declare war. I'm going to war against you by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ as I take up the shield of faith. There's our word again, faith. That what? Quenches the fiery darts. So, so important. How about write this down? James chapter 4, 7 through 8. James chapter 4, 7 through 8. It says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'll just pause there for a moment. So submit. How many people really like to submit? Amen. We love to submit, don't we? We're great submitters in America. Are you kidding me? Who wants to submit to anyone in America, right? Don't tell me what to do, right? This is my life. See, that's the whole point. The Bible says your life is no longer your own. That's why the Bible says submit to God. Not a suggestion, not if you want to, not if you hope to, get around to it. It says, submit to God. Come under His authority. We're under the Word of God here at this church. We submit to it. And here's what happens. Resist the devil. There it is, declaring war. I'm going to resist you. Right now, whatever you're struggling with, you got to go to war against it. We can no longer afford to have this passivity, if you will, in our lives. Again, key number two, there it is again. If I desire to truly draw near to God, I must have a non-passive faith in Him and for Him. We can't look at the sin that we want to hang on to, think it's not a big deal, you know, let's be passive about it. It will rule and reign in your life. It will literally destroy you and your family. It will destroy you. It's how serious sin is. Be killing it or be killing you, as John Owen said. I love the last part there of verse 8 of James 4. Draw near to God, and He will do what? Draw near to you. Isn't that awesome? So we're resisting the devil, and what's going to happen? He's going to flee. So when you go to war against the sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, as He enables you to attack that, the enemy's going to flee. As we draw near to God, say, God, hey, it's day number three. Haven't messed it up yet, and whatever sin it is you're struggling with, give me the strength and the power to get to day number four and victory. He's going to enable you to do that. But if you think you're going to get there and not resist the devil, it's not going to happen. Just never happen. I was thinking about one of my kids when they were younger, and 
when you're in Florida, you like to swim. It's kind of what you do in Florida, right? If you're a Floridian, you swim. And so we love to swim. And I can remember they were younger, a lot younger, small. But they loved to swim. They loved to swim around in the water. And, you know, they got the goggles on and the flippers and the whole deal. It was a blast, right? Just a great time. Well, one of them got real brave one day, and I'm in the deep end of the pool. And so they climbed up out of the pool, and they stood on the edge of the deep end. And they're like, I really want to jump in, Daddy, the, the deep end. Of course, as a dad, that makes you proud, doesn't it? You're kind of showing off for everyone. and going, that's my, that's my boy. That's my girl there. Yeah, they're mine. And then they stand there in fear, and you're like, they're not mine. Wrong child. Well, that's what happened, right? Because they stood there, it seemed like, for 40 days and 40 nights of, well, I want to, but I don't want to. And that's what we did. It seemed like it went on for eternity. You know, flapping their arms. Your kids ever do that? They're just flapping their arms. They're so excited. Almost like they're going to lift off like a helicopter, right? I want to jump in. I want to jump in. Well, I'm daddy. I'm right here. I'll catch you. You won't drown. You're going to be fine. Just jump here to me. I'll take care of you. Oh, I want to do it. I want to do it. Come on to me. I don't want to do it. And this went on literally, it seemed like, for days. And then finally, and finally they took that leap of faith. And they jumped. And it was deep. Like really deep, way over their heads. But they jumped in, and I made sure they didn't drown, of course. And they went deep in the water. And as they came up, you could just see in their eyes that they now were choosing faith over fear. Like you could see it, right? Little, little child, but man, their whole perspective changed. And here they come out of the water. They come out of the water choosing faith. And, and you know what we did now for the next four hours, don't you? Yeah, you know where I'm going, don't you? Because some of you have little kids or grandkids. I mean, for like 19 hours straight, right? Out of the pool, in the water, out of the pool. I mean, it like didn't stop, you know? I'm, I'm exhausted. Why? Because they, they had big faith and it produced a big result, right? Take that spiritually to the infinite. That's what God is calling us to. He's not calling you individually and you as a family and you as a ball team and you as a business and you as a church to live in the shallow end of the pool. We're so good at hanging on to the handrail of life, aren't we? Let's hang on to the handrail and just hope it all works out. No, God's calling us into the deep. He's not going to accomplish a revival and an awakening and a reformation on this corner as we hang on to the handrail. He wants to do something much bigger than we are. If we're only looking at our resources and our abilities and our capabilities and what we're limited by, we will always be limited by what we're looking into from that scope. But when we begin to go, wait a minute, let's put all that to the side. God, what do you want to accomplish? God, what are you going to do here? Of the hundreds, perhaps thousands of people you're going to bring here to our church in the future. It's going to give you glory. We're going to worship you in one accord and say, God, you're it. And there is no other. You create the light. You form the darkness. You, God, do all these things. Man, that's what I'm believing for. But it's going to take a big faith to believe in a big God who can do big things. How about you? Are you flapping on the side of the pool? of life, and God's calling you. Your name, he's saying, I've called you to do this. I've selected you. It's your time to stand in the gap and to make a difference. 
That's why the last part of the verse says it like this, and, and that He, God, rewards those who seek Him. The third part. So God is our rewarder. And again, He's also the object of who we're seeking. Now, I don't think there's a fool on planet Earth that would say, I don't want to be rewarded, amen? Like we all praise Jesus when the rewards are flowing. But what about what it really means to seek Him? Like, have you ever really thought about biblically what it means to seek the Lord? The seeking here, I don't know if you understand this, the seeking here is with such a fervency in the original language that it's like you're craving it. You guys ever um, crave chocolate? Don't leave me up here hanging by myself. This is uncomfortable. Like, I love chocolate. And there's some moments where you're kind of, you're like sitting there, you know, maybe you're just trying to rest or something, and all of a sudden it comes over you. <laughs> that Holy Spirit moment of chocolate, right? And you're just like, wow. <laughs> need to get the car keys because we need to get some chocolate, right? I mean, there's the craving. You just, you, you crave it. Like, is there something in your life today that you're just, you're craving it? You're just, I gotta have this. Like, if I don't get this. That's what the writer of Hebrews is explaining when he says seek. Question for me and you, is that how we approach Jesus? Like, I gotta have him. Like, I gotta have him. If I don't have him, if he's not in my life and he's not working, the life's not worth living. I gotta have, I gotta have Jesus. You know, I was thinking about that thought, and of course, Matthew 6 33 came to my mind. Seek what? Second, the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you, right? Did I get that right, church? Seek what? First. Just ask yourself today on Celebration Sunday as we have a blank slate, we're recalibrating. It's a great time to reset for your life, for your family. Truthfully, is your family, is your life, are you seeking Jesus more than anything else? Truthfully, that's who we're seeking. Like, we're all in for Jesus. Right here, the Word says, God's holy Word, and that He rewards. So He's our object, He. Those who seek Him, He's the object. He's the rewarder and the object of who we're seeking. This reward is one who pays wages. There's a reward coming. We have the reward now, eternal life, and we're looking towards that full glorification. We know there'll be crowns in heaven, right? As we please Him, there, there will be reward. Those who seek Him, those who search for Him diligently and carefully as in craving. I mean diligently and carefully. It's amazing how much time we'll put into hobbies and going to the movies and watching the ball game and whatever else is going on, right? Golf and fishing, and all good stuff in and of itself. All good stuff. Good stuff. The problem is this, so often all of those things dictate what our pursuit is really after. And it's so easy to just slide into that stuff, isn't it? Just slide it in. Then we've got Jesus on the fringe. 
I told you a couple weeks ago that if you want to see who I'm really in for, look at my schedule and look at my checkbook. If you want to see who I'm craving, what I'm craving, open up my day timer. I'm old school. I got a day timer. And you look and you go, okay, I see who you're serving. Here's my checkbook right here. It is. Yep, there it is. Those are your gods right there. And we got to get to this point where we're seeking first the kingdom of God. First. With respectable, rationalized sin, when we leave a crevice, here's what happens. We now get passive towards our sin. And when we're passive, we don't deal with our sin. And when we're passive, our sin begins to take over our lives. we got to go to war against our sin. People go, why is our country a mess? Pretty simple. Obedience to God brings a blessing. Disobedience brings a curse. It's just that simple. When as a country we disobey God, we bring a curse on our country. We are one nation under God. That's what we're founded on. I've looked at the original documents. No one's going to sway my opinion on this. And here we are in 2020. Who would ever dreamed? Who would ever dreamed? You thought 9-11 might have got our attention, and 19 years later, here we are. Here we are, just wandering around in the wilderness. We've got to seek Him first. I love Joshua chapter 3. I love this. I love this. Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. And when the souls of the feet of the priest, bearing the ark of the Lord... The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Did you catch that? Let me read that part again. The waters of the Jordan, so they're at the Jordan, shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. What's going on here? What's the context? Well, the kids of Israel, they're going into the land, right? And they got to cross the Jordan. Now, you remember they have previously crossed the Red Sea. And the Red Sea, when you study the Red Sea, and some portions of the Red Sea are a mile deep. A mile. When the Word says that the water congealed like a wall, are you picturing this? Can you imagine? They're crossing. And can you imagine the height of these walls, which is showing the might of our God. The height of the walls of the water is showing the might of our God. And big faith always produces big miracles because our big God's in the business of big miracles. So now they're the Jordan River. So now they're being tested again. This is not like six inches of water, I can promise you. Everyone pull up their, their wranglers and just kind of get through. No, it's at flood stage. It's at flood stage. So water is everywhere. And you got this ragtag bunch of kids of Israel, all their belongings, this big caravan. And here they are. They're going to cross the Jordan River. And here's what the word says. When the feet of the priest touch the water first. When the feet of the priest touch the water first. Let me say it one more time. Make sure this is sinking in. When the feet of the priest touch the water first. First, wait a minute, you're talking about they're getting in the water while it's flooded? Yes. Well, that takes faith. Yes. 
When the feet of the priest touch the water first, then the water will part. So many people, even believers all across our country today, they're standing at their Jordan River waiting for God to part the river and He's actually waiting for them to get in the river. And we're just going to wait here and keep praying. As one man said, sometimes we'll pray all night versus just simply obeying. Is prayer needed? Amen. Is wise counsel needed? Amen. But there comes a point in time where you stand at your Jordan long enough and it's just time to get in the water and trust God to part the river. What are you waiting on God to do in your life today? What is it in your life today that you're standing at your Jordan River and right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He is showing you and telling you with clarity Like there is no ambiguity. You know exactly what you need to do. And here's what I've learned in my life. When I choose to disobey, it not only impacts me, it impacts my family. So imagine what happens in a corporate setting when you start bringing a whole bunch of disobedience in there. And everyone kind of shakes their heads going, I wonder why God's not working. Obedience brings the blessing. Disobedience brings the curse. Number three again, God rewards those who fervently pursue Him. God rewards those who fervently, fervently, tenaciously, there's a pursuit, there's a hunger, a thirst. I got to have it. You're it. You're the air I breathe, Jesus. I don't need anything else. That's why I love the persecuted church all over the world. Here's what they've come to the conclusion. I love this about them. When they ask for prayer requests, they actually don't ask to be freed from the persecution. They ask for prayers for strength to actually endure the persecution. Those are big boy prayers, amen? I don't know about you. I'm praying, get me out of this mess, amen? And they also do this. They say, we've realized that when Jesus is all we have, Jesus is all we need. That's a struggle in America, isn't it? we got all our little Jesuses, little J's running around, occupying our time. And we wonder why we're not surrendered and sold out. That's why the takeaway question is this. What am I doing right now that is requiring big faith in God? We just read from Scripture, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So let's just ask an honest question. What are we doing right now that's requiring faith? Like, what are you doing? What am I doing that's requiring faith? Are we, are we so comfortable? Well, it's easy to live the comfortable life, isn't it? Let's just kind of get in cruise control. And when it's uncomfortable, it makes us what? Uncomfortable. Don't live the comfortable life. Live the holy life. Pursue holiness. And by the way, don't worry about making other people uncomfortable. Like, when you're pursuing Jesus, don't worry about making other people uncomfortable. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. He didn't say, imitate me so you can look at me. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. His whole point was, look at what I'm doing for the whole and sole purpose of, look what Jesus did and is doing in my life. What are we doing now, truthfully? Dads, grandpas, what are you doing? What are you doing that's requiring faith? Anything? Are we just stuck in this rut of just kind of going along? What are we doing to live on the edge for Jesus? 
I hear all the time, we want revival, we want awakening, we want reformation, we want God to move. What are we doing? What are we doing to usher in the revival, the awakening, the reformation? It's going to take big faith. Paul Washer said it like this. Some of you are mad about wearing a mask to church, but the reality is that you've been wearing one for years. Pretty powerful, isn't it? We're all running from something. The question is, who are we running to? I mean, think about that. How different would your life, my life be if we took God seriously and if we took sin seriously? Like, how different would our lives be? We really take God seriously and we really take sin seriously. Think about the revival in your life, in your home, in your marriage, what God would do. He would revolutionize your home, my home as well. That's why our action step is this. Without hesitation, give God right now whatever He wants from you. Like right now, just give Him whatever He wants. And here's the beauty of this. I shared this with you the other week. You know what God wants from you. Like this is not one of those deals where you're like, I don't have no idea. Yeah, you do. Oh, you know. I know. And He's always going to ask us, here it is, He's always going to ask us to give Him what's most important to us. Here's why. Because what's most important to us, if it's not Him, is standing in the way of us and Him. And He's the master of removing the roadblocks. Rich young ruler. Rich young ruler. Bling, bling. Had it all going on, right? Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Whoo, whoa, 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 chief. Hang on. We're not going down that path. Those are my gods. That's my security, my hope, my identity. And what does the Bible say? It says, and the rich young ruler went away sad, and Jesus ran after him, chased him down, fell on his knees, negotiated a better deal. They came to the conclusion that, hey, 50% is not bad. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says this, that he went away sad, the rich young ruler, period. The Bible has nothing to say about Jesus pleading with him and running after him. He lays it out there. Jesus lays it out there. Look, I gave my life for you, Jesus says. Now you give your life for me. That's the whole point of discipleship. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life, is what Bonhoeffer said. I was thinking about an illustration here, and one that I think will hopefully lead into our time of giving here in just a moment as we... Give generously to the Lord all that we are. Number one, our lives, our time, our time, yes. We're asking as we relaunch that you really begin to look at your schedule. How important is Jesus? Is it important enough to, to make a commitment to say, you know what, on Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, I'm going to be here. I'm going I'm to sow into my own life. I'm going to get fed the word. I'm going to grow in discipleship. Our talents, how are you blessed that you need to get plugged into the body of Christ today? You have a gift, an ability, and God's been waiting on you to get in the Jordan. You're standing there, not using that gift, that talent, to help the body, many hands make the work light. And yes, your treasure. Well, let me rephrase that, His treasure. It's all His, right? We think it's ours. No, no it's not. Every penny I got in my bank account is His. Everything. Everything I have is from the Lord. My time, my talent, my treasure 
is all the Lord's. It's all His. I'm just a steward, and I will be held accountable. Do you know that? We're going to be held accountable. John, I gave you this ability and these resources and this time. And Why did you use it all on yourself? Why in all those years on planet Earth did you use it all on yourself? You could have been giving glory to me, being a better disciple for me and making more, but you spent it all on yourself. Well, this illustration just hit me hard because I heard it years ago, but I was thinking about it this week. So a church was trying to raise money for a building program, and uh, they didn't have the funds, and it was one of those kind of midnight hour deals, and they're like, well, what do we do? We don't want to borrow money to go into debt, and so what do we do? Well, the preacher, he's like, I know this, we're not borrowing any money. God's either in this or he's not, period. Like He's either in it or he's not. We're going to find out. So it was getting really, really close. The Sunday before, they had to go to the bank, I believe it was, was that they came and of course, they began to worship the Lord, had one service, and right after the first service, a, a couple just came up the side aisle. They started walking up the side aisle during the invitation, and they walked right up here, and they, they came to the front where the preacher's standing, and I said, preacher, here's the deal. Uh, we were just robbed here recently. We have nothing. We own nothing. Basically, what we have on our, on our bodies here are clothes, but the Lord has been speaking to our hearts I mean, he is just like all up in our business. We know it's him speaking. We don't want to disobey. He's told us to give something to you. Preacher's like, well, what are you going to give me? And they handed him their, their wedding bands. Now, you've been robbed. You had the clothes on your back. And they're basically going to give the preacher what's most important to them, to give to Jesus. Preacher's like, wait a minute, whoa, time out. I know the answer to this one. No, I can't take your wedding bands. Are you serious? You don't understand this. We must be obedient to what God's asking us to do. Preacher's like, okay, fine, I'll take them, puts them in his pocket. Second service, he preaches and the way he tells it, he says, it's almost an afterthought. We know that's the Holy Spirit. He shares that story. He shares that story. Couple's been robbed. They come forward. They have nothing to give other than what's most important to them, what signifies their bonds, their marital bond, their union. Hey, Jesus says, we're going to give this to you. We don't want to live under a curse. We want to live under the blessing. Take it. He shares that story and gives the invitation. And do you know what happened next? Here's what happens. This is how God works. People came forward. They gave houses. I'm not making this up. They gave houses, cars, stocks, bonds, retirement accounts, jewelry. You name it. They just flooded the altar. They just gave it all. And when they totaled it up, guess how much money they had? Just enough. Isn't that cool? See, they stood on the banks of the Jordan. One couple had the courage to say, we're all in for Jesus. Because we believe that the big miracles happen with big faith. Question for you. Do you think it was those rings that brought in the obedience from the people and the outpouring from the people? It wasn't the rings. It was simply the act of obedience. What is God asking you to give today? Knowing that disobedience will bring a curse, what's he asking you to give right now? Like right now, as we're sitting here, and I already shared with you, like I'm going to give here in a moment, and I'm giving what hurts to give. 
Like there's pain in this offering when I'm giving today. But here's the deal. I came to the quick conclusion that I can either walk in disobedience or obedience. Have you thought about this? When you give him your life, he'll have your time, he'll have your talents, and he'll have your treasure. That's how this works. Father, we come before you today, and God, we know very clearly from your word that you're not going to reveal what you have for us until we first surrender to you what you want from us. So many times we just kind of stay at point A on the edge of the Jordan, wondering what you have for us. When are you going to bring the revival? When unwittingly you've already communicated what you need from us to start the revival. God, I believe you can do the extraordinary through the ordinary. Brokenness always leads to surrender. Surrender always leads to obedience, God. We see it. And obedience always leads to contentment and joy in the Lord. If there's one here who doesn't know you, I pray today will be the day of salvation. Just stir, God. Move. Move right now, God, in a powerful way. Holy Spirit, descend on this place like never before. Shake us to the core. Bend us, break us. Yield us to your will and your glory. Whatever you want from us, to you be that praise, you be that glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.